So anyway, so we'll, uh, I'll just do the, um, I'll just do uh, the one, two, three, hello. No, okay. not, the, not the one, two, three. <laughs> so I don't get to fail in counting again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's okay. Welcome to RPG Ramblings with Jeff Jones. This is a weekly show exploring the various details of the tabletop RPG hobby through discussions with interesting people. This week, Jared Rasher joins me. He writes game reviews for Gnome Stew and also for his own blog, What Do I Know? Today we talk about various superhero RPGs and what we like and don't like about them. It's time to put on your spandex and your cowl and join us. Sisters and brothers, it's time to get rambling. Hello, Jared. Hey, Jeff. It's like so, I just talked to you. I know. It's kind of amazing. <laughs> Friends are like that. There's no time that passes. We just pick off, we just pick up conversations where we last left them off, even if it has been seconds or even years ago. It's, it's what is uh, even time these days? <laughs> it timely. We have timely, wimely. Yeah. Mambly, pambly. Yes. It's, it, it's funny. Um, have you seen uh, The Good Place? Yes. Oh, God, I love that show. So I forget the name, but they Jer- Jeremy Baramis. Yeah, Jeremy Baramis. Yeah, but he said that. So what's the uh, dot over the eye? It's all Tuesdays. Oh, God, I love that show. I didn't. I was not prepared for how much I was going to love that show when I first started watching it. I, I agree. Um, I think. I'll go on a limb to say that, uh, okay, so I, I will say, uh, I know this is, I'm, I'm throwing something else in there, but have you seen um, The Crown? I have not. Okay, I think that is the perfectly written, acted, directed, photographed, and soundscaped production I have ever seen. <laughs> like, there is no flaw. I mean, if you just look at just the lighting, it's just it's just amazing and consistent. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, <laughs> the good place, I will say, is pretty close. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, most shows I watch, there's usually a point where I go, eh, or mm, but I don't do that with that. No, it's like they were working towards a a resolution and they kept making points along the way that made sense and they resolved it. And it was, it was amazing. And I was, I didn't jump on it right away because I was like, Oh, it's a sitcom. It's like, no, it's not just a sitcom. (laughs) So I just started watching. We're in season three right now, Mm -hmm. but the it's usually, it seems like shows and we'll even throw in the, the, my, Except for, I'll, I'll disagree with a lot of people about WandaVision. I enjoyed it from the very beginning. Oh, yeah. I did, but, too. But it seemed like all the other Marvel TV shows, the pacing's just off. And it just seems like, I don't know what it is. I, I like the pacing on the Disney Plus shows much better than the pacing on the Netflix shows. Well, I think the reason is, is that they forced Netflix to have 13 episodes. Yeah, I... And the weird thing about that is I am by no means saying that I didn't like the Netflix shows. Right. It's just that there were a few episodes by the middle of those seasons that are like, 
why aren't you advancing the plot this just yes, seems exactly. like you're you're jogging in place here you know the, the time they had uh i think it was uh, i can't remember whose show it was but they had um i think it was it's either um luke cage or i think it was a luke cage where they had danny show yeah up. and they just meandered and talked and <laughs> they went and destroyed this drug uh manufacturing facility that really didn't matter <laughs> and he kind of gets him to fight him but it's just to teach a lesson and he just kind of wanders off and i'm like what what has happened here <laughs> the moment i look forward to most of any of these series is bringing these two together oh man we made danny unlikable how do we <laughs> how do we fix this so i think but in general a lot of shows you have to give it a season to catch up but good place was right from the beginning mm-hmm. there was no oh yeah. There was no law. Let's figure out the characters. Let's figure out pacing. It's like it it clicked along. Oh yeah, I I was really I like I said I was shocked because I had seen some of my friends talking about it and it was like, oh, people that I wouldn't normally expect to be this into like a sitcom seem to really like this thing. That's interesting. And then I got like weird like conversations where it's like, wait, they're talking about that on a sitcom. And then I started watching it. I was like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I think my favorite part, uh, spoilers for those of you who haven't uh, watched this, <laughs> my favorite part of the whole thing is the thing that was always kind of in life, I'll say always, that's a, a, the one thing that's a long time bothered me is the, is the, uh, the trolley. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. the, and the idea is, you know, the idea is, you know, you're, you're different situations, people are going to die. What, what do you decide? How do you decide it? And then what does that really say about people and what we're willing to do and not do? And I, I do find those types of, of uh, exercises just to be icky. And I, I'll, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say that the funny thing about the trolley exercise is that it is literally the, it is literally an illustration of railroading an adventure too. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> You're going to kill the little girl or the whole village. One's going to have to die. Yeah, and, you have uh, no other agency in this. Just two shitty options. But what I love about it is, to me, I in some ways, it's all done abstractly, in a distance, people sitting in their comfortable chairs and throwing these morally terrible things at people. And there what they did is say, let's just do it for real. Mm-hmm. Mr. Moral Philosopher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I thought, well, that was a very, I really found a lot of satisfaction in, mm-hmm. in that. And that you really don't know how you do it. In the end, you're probably just going to lock up and scream because you really don't have time to think about it. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, and maybe that's, I don't know. I just, I found no, a way. Yeah, I, I love a lot of the discussion about like the theoretical versus the, you know, the, the practical application and how that's different. <laughs> yes. Like, wow, this is, this is all happening in the context of, his, of a sitcom. That right. I just did, you know, you want to get Philosophy there. 101, you can kind of get partway there by watching the show. Yeah. And enjoy it. <laughs> so, yeah. So, uh, anywho. Um, so, we're talking about a good place RPG, right? No. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so, what we're actually here to talk about is superhero RPGs. <laughs> 
Which is why we started with the good place. Yeah, exactly, because we all know that they, at the end they all turn into superheroes. After they, after the at the final point, they meet Kang the Conqueror. <laughs> I was trying to work on a good joke for people thinking Mephisto was going to show up. And, yeah. Uh, no, sorry, I'm not going to spoil that. Yeah, no, yes, wherever exactly. Mephisto feels like showing up, <laughs> yeah. he does. <laughs> it's his choice. Um, so, anywho. Uh, superhero RPGs. Yes. I've heard you've had a little bit of experience with them. Why? Yes. Yes, I have. <laughs> I, I think, I think the difference between, I think you have had, uh, you definitely had much more experience with a variety of systems. And I think I've spent a whole lot of time in the champions pools, just swimming mm-hmm. and floating and doing <laughs> water gymnastics. Because Champions is like the one that I just never, and, and I mean, it was such a thing for so long, and I never really engaged with it. Yeah, it is the it is both at the same time the RP superhero RPG that I hardly recommend that you play, and it's also at the same time probably the RPG that I recommend that you don't play it at the same time. <laughs> Jeff from Earth One. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. It just uh, it, it it what it does it does well. But the f- I think the first one, or at least nearly the first one, only we'll say the first one that matters. Yeah, I think it was the villains and vigilantes. Have you ever yeah. played that? I have not. Um, I remember seeing ads for it in Dragon Magazine because I'm old. <laughs> I think I think the main thing is you know, this goes to the art selling a product. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeff's D art really sold the product. I, I remember reading some things about like trying to kind of force a dungeon crawl into a superhero format. And I don't know how true that is or not, but. I don't know. I've never officially played any of the published adventures. Mm-hmm. What I did play uh, was at a convention. There's three different games. I played two of them so far and they're in a series where um you remember the drow sites from star frontiers mm-hmm. well one um achieved um cosmic consciousness <laughs> and the guy jim and he 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 split off into different drow sites and um he plays them kind of like a stoner <laughs> And it started with him kind of monkeying with time, which was taking Al uh, Capone and sending him off to uh, Leninist uh, <laughs> Russia and then bringing him back and giving him superpowers and other people's superpowers. And then you had to go back in time to fix stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That seems like something you'd have to fix. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and which I've, I, dearly love so i i got a little taste of the mechanics um you know and i think it's the older version uh and they're fun they're serviceable mm-hmm. you know they definitely um you know i, th- I i'm gonna make some assumptions but i still think there's that kind of do you ever play gamma world no actually okay so gamma world is really superheroes yeah, it could be like a superhero is a post-apocalyptic right I, I know, like from what I've read, it it shifted tones a lot depending on what edition too. It's yeah, it's a hot mess. So you could wind up with a guy that <laughs> that can do weird, cool stuff, or you can wind up a person that's epileptic and uh, and also uh, 
is is also sleeps maybe goes unconscious during the day he can't wake up (laughs) (laughs) it's like it's it's all kind of random and it's unbalanced which i don't necessarily mind but you can actually have a character which we literally did uh where a character rolled up a plant rolled up to an ex and fortunately rolled up to have uh, a set of limbs, but had to choose between his arms and legs. So he chose arms and <laughs> he was unconscious during the day. So we drug him around. <laughs> okay. So, but anyway, uh, villain vigilantes, I won't say you don't have the problem with the epilepsy and the, uh, all the other weird, terrible, dysfunctional things that you can have, uh, with gamma world. But, it is still kind of like you roll stuff and you get stuff and set it a power level. And I think there's like an AC style. I mean, it very much kind of still plays into, um, so in playing D and D would have, I think I, I could mm-hmm. pretty naturally gravitate into, uh, into that. I've not played the newer system and I'm not sure yeah. if, if Jeff, I don't want to say fix cause that's kind of, uh, <laughs> I guess presumptive on my part, but I don't know. If Modernized. Played, yes, exactly. <laughs> and I'm I'm sure there's probably a lot of things that leveled out. Now Champions is a was a is a very solid system because you can make whatever character you want. Mm-hmm. It just the and earlier on, I mean there's a certain amount of complexity to making a character which got even more so. But with um but basically with um some simple software that you'd buy, you could actually make characters. And, and if you want to think about it a different way, imagine 3.5 being a toolbox, a toolkit, mm-hmm. instead of everything being pre-described. That's all, that's really all uh, the hero system is. And, and honestly, I think um, when, I, when I bounced off of hero system, I am wondering if had I gotten, which was not available at the time I was trying to dig into this, but I was wondering if I, I read like a a direct um champions thing instead of the bigger hero system if i would have engaged with it better than i did because i think it was six edition hero system that i started reading and yeah. it's just i could not get into it uh but you know that is very much in the abstract because in that book they're still saying imagine anything you want to do now start doing math you know <laughs> well Whereas, yeah well, on the hero forums back in the day, people would actually would build literally everything, like mm-hmm. like a hairbrush. <laughs> it would be these. There would you know, seriously. There would be just for fun. They would uh-huh. like say, "I want you know." Besides just a car, you know, what's you know? How would you build? And not for real, but as intellectual exercise. Yeah. And you can do that in that game. <laughs> <laughs> Oh goodness! I, I I was gonna say I don't think I have ever encountered uh, anything other than a cost for a hairbrush in an RPG. Yes. <laughs> you know, so is it is it a transform, you know, <laughs> power, or is it a you know? The, 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 then there'll be like debates where people will build the same thing different ways with different <laughs> ways of mentally constructing it. So now, where I did see some of the building things alternate ways is. Um, I, I really got into Mutants and Masterminds. Uh, I, I got into it in second edition, but I didn't really get to play it much in second edition, but I really got to play and run it in third edition. 
And I know I've read people say that it's kind of like a less granular version. Well, not it's not resolved the same way. I don't want to give that wrong impression. But the fact that it is kind of like a point by thing where you can build any individual thing, it is similar to champions in that. Um, and I remember uh, there are so many different ways you can model different the same character, you know, with people building it slightly differently. And, you know, right. I think the thing is where it, so there are multiple approaches a lot of times to building the same characters. Um, and I think that the different additions basically, uh, so one through three is really not first through third. It was actually the same system. It's just champions one, <laughs> champions two, champions three. There's no, but the fourth edition was a little bit more of a codification and they started making it into more of a, a I think more of a, a universal system because mm-hmm. they had separate product lines like, uh, like uh, fantasy hero yeah. and so forth. But, but it, it generally, I mean, as far as all you're really doing is, is, is granularity, the further out you go. Mm-hmm. And so, and it's, and it it's very logical on a setup. It's just it just it's just can be time consuming to set things up. Yeah. But I think the, the the genius that it offered was that it had it, it it differentiated between physical damage and stun damage. Mm-hmm. So every attack would do some stun and some potentially some body. And so, but you, you're the type of attacks you do, you could set up your character to kind of adjust for that. So if you want an all stun attack, you could do that. Or if you want an attack that's mostly stunning or an attack that's not stu- very stunning at all, but just does a lot of damage, you, you could play with, with those types of, of levers. Mm-hmm. Well, and <laughs> this is a thing that some modern superhero, uh, uh, genres don't worry nearly as much about, but it was a big deal knowing whether, you had the type of hero that would kill people or the type of hero that wouldn't kill people at a certain point in comic book history. Yeah. As a GM, I've, I came, <laughs> I came across that. It's like, I'm very much a, yeah, you know, as a, as a superhero, you shouldn't be doing this. And then the guy playing it was very much a, well, why not? <laughs> so like, well, <clears throat> there's a story. That I heard, I don't know if it's, I assume it's true, but it was, I think it told, I think if I recall correctly, so we've been throwing that qualifier. C.S. Lewis was in the trenches, World War One, mm-hmm. And I, and he, this is why, I might be mixing up, but my story I heard was, hey, he said to his commander, you know, the German trench, I think I could, we could throw grenades into their trench from here. And he's like, well, if you do that, then they'll throw it back at, you know, they'll be throwing grenades at us too. (laughs) So to me, if you're going to throw up the level lethality on the player side, then it's like, okay, then if that's the game you want to play, then, then characters should, and that's not the game I really wanted to be. Yeah. Um, Honestly, that (laughs) to, to, you know, kind of warp that, like I, I love a lot of what Scott Snyder did in Batman, but I also kind of feel like that sort of happened with, you know, well, 
Joker kills people sometimes, but other times, you know, he's a mass murderer that kills half the city. And I feel like the more that ramped up, the more the story is really kind of morphed into different things where it's not like, oh, that Joker, he's free again. He he might kill someone in one of his games or he might not. And it turned into, no, Joker wants to have a high body count no matter what he does. And that really felt like it changed the tone of the character and the the stories that he showed up in a lot. Yes. Yes, exactly. And I think as a GM, as characters, it's like, what is that tone? Yeah. In general, the the champions, it it was hard to be lethal. Mm -hmm. Not saying you couldn't be, but the, the default knobs and levers left things to be less lethal. Yeah. And I, I think every every super supers game that I have regularly engaged with that is also true. Um it is um and I'm not saying there aren't ones where that's not true. I'm just saying that the ones that I have Right. Know, I think any time that you have hit points, so to speak, where in champions it was your body, that was your hit points. Mm-hmm. So anytime that you have that as a metric then do you have the potential for killing or at least that's more of a yeah more of kind of baked in where if you do something where there aren't really hit points like mm-hmm. going with the cortex then i think it's kind of the default is you're not necessarily killing yeah. people well yeah and even like mutants and masterminds you're accumulating uh you're accumulating negatives when you get hit but until you fail your save you're still, you know, you're still in the in the fight. And then once you fail your save, you're out cold. And that's very, you know, that easily falls into that whole we're doing non-lethal stuff. So, you know. Yes. And I and I think, yeah, I was trying to think village vigilantes, because it has hit points as well. Mm-hmm. I don't know how hard it is to kill people in that one. But um, but in champions, you could you could you could accidentally, which I kind of like the idea you could accidentally kill people because you have a certain type of attack. Like if you're doing a um, I think if you're doing just a normal attack, uh, I think sixes counts as two points of damage, two through five counts as one point of damage and ones wind up as no physical damage. You could still do stun, but you could like roll a bunch of sixes where you think this will never come up. You know what I mean? Yeah. You'd be I, like, oops. <laughs> I, I also, I kind of love that thought process because this is something that happens in comics too, because you know, like um, in Marvel and uh, the original Marvel superheroes game that TSR put out, which was the second RPG that I ever purchased or ran. And I think I learned how to run as a better GM from that system than I did from, you know, my D and D before I had that system. Right. But um, in there, you're only, unless you're shooting or uh, slashing someone, you know, like with an edged weapon, there's like no chance to, to do, you know, like killing damage to someone, which is really funny because I'm picturing Colossus, who at the time could lift 80 tons and was made of metal. But because he's punching you, <laughs> this right. metal fist will not kill you. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that does go to play. I mean, it, this was kind of interesting. So if you look at like champions, the amount of points you spend on your character and when you how you spend on a character really matters and will directly affect your character in a way that balances or unbalances compared to other people. 
And I think the idea is that whatever power level you are is always the power level you are. Mm. But it seems like Marvel Heroic actually says, you know what? Comics aren't really like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like- <laughs> yeah. And I liked that. I liked it because you could do things like if you, and if you let something be an unlock or something, you could do those weird arcs where like Spider-Man got the, uh, the, the Captain Universe power for a limited period of time and play a story arc where you had that power set where he has cosmic energy and flying and all this yeah. stuff. And it doesn't mean that that's what he is from then on because you could always start a new series or he could buy something else or whatever, but you could like snap on that different power set and this is a little bit different now, you know? I think what's hard about the Marvel is it definitely abstracts things in, yes. a, in a way that some, I, I had, so like I ran, I played in your game uh, mm-hmm. at, 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 um, at, um, at Winter War. And I would, but when I look at it to try and run a game, I'm kind of confused. Even mm-hmm. though I've run some Cortex games before, that Marvel one still kind of confuses me a bit. And I think that it it definitely takes a certain mindset <laughs> and understanding to be able to properly run that game. Yeah, and I honestly I was all all about that for for a long time. And I think I probably as far as like writing actual side material and characters and um you know things like that and oh god i have so many on my blog i was writing milestones like left and right for a while like every time i read a comic i would write milestones based on the comics that i just read on on that wednesday so i was like that and it was really funny because the first time i read it first time i read it i did not like it because my brain was still doing very much the um the what am i trying to say more the more simulationist thing which makes not a lot of sense for superheroes but i get it because that's how most have been presented up to this point and i'm sitting here going what does a d12 mean it's got a power in a d12 how do i know how far that goes you know how how do i know what the range is on that you know it's like and then you know after a while i would start thinking well nobody measures range in comics (laughs) Well, and I think the thing too, it's like, and whatever it is, you, it's like, they're inconsistent in comics, mm-hmm. you know, like how far, you know, like for instance, you know, if you're really to, to do flash, you mean, sometimes if you watch a TV series and then we're not talking about comics, but even like a TV yeah. series, sometimes he's so fast, he can, he can do things that make sense. And other times like, how did Grodd just hit him? Yeah. <laughs> like how in the world did they? normal speed person <laughs> but yeah, i mean there and we i think we've talked about this before but i mean that's one of the scenes that i actually like in justice league is that slowed down like when flash realizes that superman's fast enough to actually make contact with him I, I will, yeah i i will say that i like that but i it it, it bothered me um at first until uh because i thought you know what that just means like superman is better than everybody in every way <laughs> but then Zack snyder fixed that <laughs> because then you realize well flash flash can go even faster yeah 
He just chooses not to. Yeah. Because he's afraid of what will happen. Right. Well, and, and it's, you know, and it's also that relative thing. Like, are you always pushing your limits? Are you always, you know, the, the fact that, you know, the, I, I think the thing that you have to establish sometimes in a scene is Superman has super speed. So he could conceivably do it where nobody else really could touch him if he didn't want to be touched. You know, it's that sort yeah. of, you know. But he's actually, fa- but I think it goes the whole thing, well, who is Superman? And I think yeah. it's just, if you if you accept that he is the god of, of, of the <laughs> earth and that he is, it's like, if you already like that idea, then I think it's good. But if you also like the idea, it's like, you know what? In our role-playing game, this is kind of sad. This is the one thing you can do. <laughs> but but also the other thing, you, you know, you bring up a good point because how do people like Captain Boomerang or Captain Cold actually manage to ever do anything to Flash? Yeah. <laughs> because really, you're effectively moving so fast that relative to you, you're, stop, you're stopping time. Yeah. <laughs> and I know they played this up like, you know, well, Captain Cold, because he makes things cold, he makes Flash slower. It's like, yes, but how does he actually target him in the first place? <laughs> yes. <laughs> So I think what's interesting was in uh, when they did a reboot back in the day uh, in D.C. where um, uh, Mike Barron mm-hmm. wrote uh, The Flash and he, he tied Flash's uh, running with the need to then consume yeah. vast amount. Of At least that, that could make sense. Like, yeah, you can do this. Mm-hmm. But... Well, and also, um, Mark Wade, when he introduced the Speed Force, um, there is an element of, if I push myself too much, I'll just get lost in the Speed Force. Yes. So I have to, like, yeah, there's a certain point at which I can't keep pushing myself because I'm afraid I'm just going to, like, run into infinity and never come back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that, uh, that's kind of interesting, you know, where you could do that with characters. And mm-hmm. I think... Um, you know, and that's something you could definitely even do, I think, real easily with something like the Marvel Heroic, mm-hmm. where you could say, hey, everybody gets a D12. Yeah. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love like um, like one of Hulk's things was that uh, I think he had the thing where if it, his complications were on a one or a two instead of a one because he was just naturally, you know. Yeah in a china shop type thing and you know and also like i think one of his limitations was if you got 2d12 you know if you get 2d12 in the doom pool in that game system the gm just narrates the how the scene comes to an end but if specifically hulk puts those in there hulk just goes wild and levels everyone even his allies (laughs) and then ends the scene Yeah, and I think that's an area where you can see where when you are able to abstract um, things enough, you can actually emulate Mm -hmm. the superhero genre probably a little bit better. Yeah. Well, that was just as you were talking about villains and vigilantes, it got me thinking about this evolution because I believe, because I'm not an expert on it, but villains and vigilantes was much more it looked a lot more like D&D than later RPGs would. And then I don't know the full history because I did not research this. This is just something that's percolating in my brain. 
um you have like marvel heroic which decided to like we're not going to make this look like our you know tsr said we're not gonna make this look like our other products and it made this this percentile system but it was still based on like concrete you know this means you can lift this much this you know you have this much psyche and this much health and if you you know you know go to zero on one of these for mental abilities you're out and if you go to this so it was still kind of a it was still kind of a simulationist thing but it was a different system and it had a wider range of possibilities so that you could do things like punching someone and they stay next to you or punching someone and they fly off into the stratosphere right and you know they had that resolution table and then you get to something like champions that says okay you know marvel heroic does this or marvel heroic no marvel superheroes we're not time traveling yet uh <laughs> marvel superheroes had this thing where you have these discrete rules that are modeling superheroes but like when you're rolling for stats you're still rolling for things like oh i got the three powers when i rolled on this chart and right. they're within this range and then you get to something like champions where it's saying no the best way to do this is to give somebody a set of points for their power level and let them build what they want for that. Right. Including, uh, ad uh, advantages and limitations. Mm -hmm. So you could do double knockback, quadruple knockback, yeah. uh, whatever octate, uh, <laughs> whatever it is, the eight, it would be exponential. Do you could make a character that could just punch somebody into the stratosphere every time? Yeah, do a very little damage, but maybe one thing is, or <laughs> only do one d six point of damage, but you're in the stratosphere now. You're in orbit. What's your name? I am Apollo. You mean after the the god of, of the sun? No, I'm Apollo, like the NASA, because I put people in orbit. Yeah, my god, uh, like in the good place. I kicked the dog into the sun. Yeah, <laughs> I kicked oh. your dog into the sun. I'm sorry. Uh, the and the, what I also say the genius I think of champions was there were so many angles that a person could be attacked. So you have physical energy, mental, and you also have presence. You have transformations, mm -hmm. so that there's no way you could be effective against everything. Yeah, and because you have a wide range of 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 supervillains that have a wide variety of powers there's never a point where you could just say you know i'm just a tank i can i can slough off everything you can yeah yeah and um and i think you know and that was something that i actually really like you know i didn't get into champions but i got into mutants and masterminds which is very much a point by you know spend these points at this power level yes. to create a thing you know and I really like that. But what's really interesting is I got into the DC Adventures thing. And oh boy, is there a um is there a hole you can fall into with people arguing how they statted official people and how they use powers for different people and uh, things like that. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's what's is kind of weird. I think that's where in some ways it goes to show I think the limitations maybe of a system when you start doing that because when they started statting out characters mm -hmm. it just didn't seem like with champions it i mean some worked out okay but a lot of times it's just like eh, eh. yeah once you have something to measure it against you do start kind of going well i mean if this is supposed to be the pinnacle <laughs> person 
but I did this. This I'm actually better than that person, you know? Yeah, or they, they say, you know, the, the famous was like, build build a character 200 points, build a character with 350 points, mm. build the same character. And, you know, like Batman, it, it like, okay, with Batman, it calls points and skills. Well, then it just goes to a point where it's like, why are skills so expensive when you don't get to use them that often and not that effective? Well, and <laughs> what's really interesting is I think I ran the numbers on this and in the official builds, Superman, Wonder Woman, and Batman, they're different power levels, but they use almost the same number of points to build all of them. So basically, Mutants and Masterminds, your power level is telling you how much you can invest in a particular power. Yeah. So Superman could be ranked higher in things, but that would mean that he had fewer points to spend on a wide range of things. So you're looking at like Batman, who's spending as much as Superman and Wonder Woman has on all of these different things. So like, you know, he's got detective, he's got technology, he's got extra gear, vehicles, extra, you know, and it's, he's got cash. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing is, it, what's weird about that kind of system, and I don't get me wrong, I love Mutants and Masterminds. I ran DC Adventures for a year, but what's weird in that kind of system is it almost makes Batman for his type of villains can wipe the floor with them, but he still has a hard time hanging with the kind of villains that are challenging Superman and Wonder Woman. Well, so he's I, almost like not effective in either. Well, right. he's too effective in one realm and not effective enough in another. I think the problem comes with if you take the Batman from the 1970s, mm -hmm. who's at a much lower power level all the way around. Yeah. And compare them to where they over the years tried to make him somehow equal in the in the literature to be in ways equal to Superman. Yeah. I can build an anti Superman suit. I can have an anti super I can do this giant tank. Mm -hmm. I can research kryptonite. I can my presence can make everybody just afraid of me because I'm yeah. like yeah. It's like I, yeah, and at that point you're right, you know he's no longer street level. Yeah. But yeah, it's this weird thing. I mean, that's been something that I noticed anyway, is a lot of people that were his A-list somehow now get relegated to being like B and C-list characters, which is weird to me because I grew up with these, like, people are like, well, if it's not Rachel Ghoul or uh, Joker, it's all his B-list. It's like, no, there he should still be challenged by people like Riddler or, you know, these were yes. supposed to be his long-term... See, I think early on in the 70s, I think with Superman, I think his powers are probably somewhat more limited. But I, th mm -hmm. I think the idea is that there's something Superman can't do. You know, he can't, you know, but now, you know, with his x-ray vision and all the things he can do, I mean, he's pretty much, you know, but, but back in the time, I think he was limited. So you may need a Batman to to investigate and to do yeah. certain things. And and I think we're now it's like everybody's at such power levels that they just are it's just it's kind of crazy so batman doesn't yeah i know i just now thought of this this is very akin to uh this is very akin to uh D, &D. so 70s you had the osr right everybody mm. had the role uh-huh <laughs> <laughs> i heal i shoot spells try not to die till i get to a certain level you know, I fight. <laughs> the, the thief actually has skills and nobody else in the game does. <laughs> yeah, exactly. To the point now where, well, I can heal myself and everybody can kind of do combat. Everybody can heal themselves. And, 
you really don't need a cleric because everybody's kind of a cleric. You don't necessarily need a magic user because you can have technically everybody can have a little bit of magic if you want to. And in a sense, it kind of made it's a similar situation. You took Batman, kind of made him like Superman, mm-hmm. you know, and you've you took Wonder Woman who couldn't fly. Now she can fly and do all these things kind of like Superman. Yeah. And it made Superman not really need Batman or anybody else because, you know, it's so I think it's kind of a similar situation where it's there's the laws of people having their their own lanes. Yeah. And there's DC is also DC is also different than Marvel. And I've heard people try and argue against this and they are wrong. But (laughs) DC is different than Marvel in that Marvel was from the beginning built to exist as a universe like spider-man almost immediately meets the fantastic four um spider-man and the fantastic four almost immediately meet Hulk. like they all know each other exist right and there's even like references in their comics now granted for marvel this is because stan was writing almost all of these things with other co-creators so at least one person of the two or three that were working on the comics was working on all the comics. Right. (laughs) But DC was not like that. DC, like literally Metropolis was Superman's base. You know, that was his storyline. Well, I think they also were conglomerate of previous existing properties. So I think that's what also made them a little bit different. Mm -hmm. But like, even um, like, this was, I mean, this isn't something that really changed until a lot closer to like the 70s, late 70s, is that you could have a Justice League story where all these people show up and no one would ever reference it in their individual books. Oh, I see. It, it's just yeah. a thing that happens, you know, and this is this is the alternate reality where all these heroes hang out together and you'll never hear about it in their own books. Whereas in marvel if somebody joined the avengers everybody in all the other books knows that somebody joined the avengers you're going to have like the x-men mentioning that scarlet witch and quicksilver who were members of the brotherhood of evil mutants had joined the avengers how can we trust these avengers now that was something that actually changed the entire line of comics not just you know in avengers that these characters were part of that team yeah and i think it makes sense because both makes it most it, on one hand, on the positive side, it makes it for, feel more real and more like a living world or living universe. But on the other hand, it's it's also been a marketing ploy too. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. But I, and I also think that's part of why DC feels a little bit more mythic because there are these legends about these characters that are kind of distinct from all of the other characters that they interact with. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think. Uh, so then we talk about mythic street level. I guess the question is, for what you played, um, mm-hmm. and we also didn't m- mention masks, but that's a that's a teenage angst, uh, uh, superhero angst uh, RPG using Power by Apocalypse. So if you were to run a street level, a street level uh, superhero game, what system would you use? Um, actually, I think now, oh my gosh, my brain is blank, but there is a system that I just reviewed on Gnome Stew not too long ago, 
and I really like it for um, doing the uh, the street level material, and this is great content as I try and remember the name of the game. Um, trust me when I say this was really great, but um, oh, hit the streets, defend the block. That is, that's what I would do for a street level game. Um, that was one Rich Rogers did it. It is much more about you're defining a part of the city and that's what you defend. Um, it's very much, it's kind of outcome based. It doesn't, your powers kind of define how you will approach a situation, but your powers are not like, there's actually a limit saying, you know, you can't have this type of power, you know, you can't you know go beyond this this range and it's not that there's a limiter in the game rules it's just saying when you flavor your your abilities don't make somebody that can teleport long range don't make somebody that can uh that can hold their breath indefinitely don't make i mean there's a lot of things kind of telling you like don't make absolute powers if you're super strong you can't lift a building you know it's it's all these kinds of things and i really like that system for um for resolving street level games. The thing I was thinking about too, is you could also use something like, um, even though I'm not a fan of the system, uh, Shadowrun, mm-hmm. or everybody else is normal, but you just, you know, your characters have those things. Oh yeah. And I know, um, trying to think, there's, in my experience, you can use, you can limit, um, like some things like Mutants and Masterminds, to a certain power range but sometimes i feel like when people see what they could do versus what you're telling them like make a power level eight character and then they start looking at all of these you know power level 10 power level 15 characters they start kind of going do we really want to play a street level game (laughs) yeah and i think that's that's fair because that's not what people necessarily want Mm -hmm. you know and i think you know, I think it depends how street level you really want to go because you could just you could just pick the the most um, basic like you you could take like say uh, let's say like gangbusters mm-hmm. and you could just simply just just hand wave. Okay, you can do you know, like some some people are just one trick ponies, right? I can shoot things out of my hands, yeah. or I can heal or i got blades that come out of so a lot of this stuff doesn't necessarily break the system if you give somebody that's got blades that come out of their hands yeah and so i think and i don't know what i would do but i also think some systems work better at different levels of course that same character that has blades that come out of their hands when you then get to the point to where you can reduce him to ash and skeleton and he can regenerate from that, then he gets up to a different power level. <laughs> yeah. And what's interesting too, is I, I've, with this comicsology, I just read the, I've been reading the immortal Hulk. Mm-hmm. Have you read oh, those? Yeah. I haven't read it, but I've been following it. And that is much more of a horror take. On oh the, uh... my goodness. Uh, and it, and they took it to, they took it to some extremes, like potential extremes, and they rewrote this whole thing. It's de- it is definitely a Bernie Wrightson seventies vibe, mm-hmm. but the idea that Hulk could be could be on the level of Galacticus and just be a 
huge world smashing universe yeah. destroying uh, abomination that's just there that's destroying her. I mean, it's just it's like, oh, I see that now. Yeah. Well, and what's really interesting about that is they there was a time um when Peter David was writing Hulk in the 80s and early 90s, he went through a lot of different genres with Hulk. And they did kind of start doing a little bit of the horror thing when he was doing the Grey Hulk, you know, era where you had the very pragmatic you know hulk that was intelligent but not quite as smart as banner and like he was literally like ripping villains in half and like burying parts of them in different places uh he fought a guy called half-life that like he was dead during the day and at night he would uh be alive and he ripped all of his body parts off of him and buried them in different places because you know you couldn't kill him he would just you know right pull himself back together so that was how gray hulk solved well, that's kind of what happened to the Hulk, too. Yeah. <laughs> but, but instead of burying him, they put him the pieces in jars and had him on a shelf. <laughs> with the head still alive. Yeah. <laughs> but I think the point is, really, they, they took the Hulk, reduced his, his invulnerability, but made it so he always comes back. Yeah. You know, and it's yeah, like... And I, I, I think like, that, that was a thing that I don't think I ever noticed until the Peter David era was... When I was reading like Hulk comics, like in the late seventies, when I was just a wee tiny, tiny, tiny lad, and uh, in the eighties, a lot of times if you shoot him with a, a tank shell, it would blow up, and Hulk didn't feel it. And David started writing it as no, he feels it. He just heals faster than anyone else, you know, you've yeah. ever seen. And so it makes him <laughs> even angrier. Yeah, yeah, he felt that. Yeah, <laughs> it just wasn't enough to take him out. <laughs> but I think there's opportunities that you could just take, especially for lower level stuff. You could just take whatever your favorite genre, favorite game is, and give somebody something, mm -hmm. and not really break anything. Well, and that's what I mean. I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. No, no, that was the thing I was gonna uh, say about like masks and hit the streets is we are in an era now where a lot of people don't just make RPGs about a genre. They make RPGs about a subgenre. Yes. And I think that works better sometimes when yes. you really want to capture the flavor of something. Right. And saying we got a universal system. This will cover all your fantasy pitches yeah. or mm -hmm. all your superhero. Yeah. And exactly. The other thing I think is missing from street level is crime solving. Mm-hmm. But I oh, I think it would be good too. Is we didn't m mention City of Mists. That would that's actually a I would say a superhero style game. Yeah, and that's one that is on my list of things that I would love to play. I own the uh, PDFs of it, but I don't. I have not had the opportunity to do anything with it. Here's my suggestion because I read the book and I got intimidated. I originally <laughs> ran. I originally ran it with their whatever the early early edition we had a scenario mm -hmm. and it was fun it was easy but then all of a sudden they came out with a 600 page book and it's just like why'd you do that why did you do that you had a nice simple thing i'm sure there's no more complexity but just it's just too much but yeah anyway that's a very simple system uh to use um but uh that's another one that you use but uh i think the the what i was gonna say is the problem is is that i think with street level a lot of times is there is the investigation 
that's also mm. missing from most RPGs. Yeah. Um, so this is something that I've noticed because I am, I'm currently running a Sentinel Comics game, and I also ran several sessions of Spectaculars before the pandemic hit, which was super sad because I was going to run that as a campaign, and I love that. But that's a game I want to have physically in place in front of people. Yeah, I was going to try and run it remotely. I realized it was impossible. Yeah, and, but it's so fun with the actual components and using them, though. But both of those kind of build into scene structures, having objectives other than beating the crap out of something. Yes. And I really like that because there is sort of that, you know, that feeling where you can say, here's your objectives. I don't know how you're going to find these clues, but you're going to, and you may not want to phrase it quite this way, but it's like, I know how many clues you need to find before I drop some information on you. How are you going about, you know, looking into this thing? And then, you know, people can go through and do their overcomes and explain what they're doing to follow up on these things. And then you can say, okay, you know, you got this many things or you didn't get this many things and I'm going to now have somebody get the drop on you and maybe they will give you the clue now, but they, now they have a chance to beat the crap out of you. Or Right, that, that's a cost. That's yeah. a cost of fail failure. Mm-hmm. Cost of failure is the story still progresses, but there's going to be something that that's going to happen to your characters. Yeah. And I, I really like, I mean, that's one of the things, probably one of the things that I like the most about Sentinel comics is that it, it built in. I think this is something that I, I didn't realize was missing from some comic games that I think I would love to see kind of like backwards engineered into other ones. And that is, there is a set number of, of scene or a set number of rounds in the scene and then it's over. And once it's over, Yes. The GM gets to resolve. However, whatever you didn't fix, they get to resolve. So if you get to the end and you didn't take out the villain, the villain escapes. Like there's no more playing there. You got to the end of this and you didn't take out the villain. So they escape. And hopefully you disarmed his bombs and you, you know, you, you saved all the people on the train. But if you get to that last, that last step and it advances, he's gone. Yeah, you, you've only gotten three out of the four bombs, yeah. and he leaves, and then, oops. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something happened. And I do like that because there is a lot of that element of, we can't do this infinitely. This fight's not just going to go on forever. Right. I think it's, and- it's two issues being solved. One is the, the and that's what's going on with Champions, a beautiful game, but you're going to spend two hours doing combat, mm-hmm. which it's, it's kind of old. But I think the other one is that, Sometimes the, the, the guy should escape in a way, and the way usually combat's done is it's either complete success or complete loss, mm-hmm. and there's no in-between, where this is actually why well, you didn't get knocked out, but you also lost the guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and I, that happens all the time in comics, and this is a good way to like give you permission to say, you got this long to fix all of these problems, here are all of your problems. Have whatever order you want to take them on, that's up yes. to you. But the, the timer's going. Yes. And then the failure doesn't mean your characters are all knocked out. It just yeah. means that you failed to, to do the mission and the guy slips away laughing while you realize you didn't <laughs> foil this portion of the of the plot. Yeah. And it's and honestly, it's that's really good also to me when you have um this is something I did run into with uh, Mutants and Masterminds when I was running my PC Adventures game. I could not make Batman villains seem scary to people that were power level 12 right. characters. 
because they would be like, well, why is Black Mask such a, a scary crime boss? Because I can plink him in the head and he's unconscious now. And this is one of those things where you could have Black Mask saying, I've got, you know, I've got hostages all over these places. And, you know, you have the helicopter waiting to let him escape. And then it becomes this thing where it's not Black Mask literally himself that is the threat. It's all of these things that he set in motion that you have to deal with while trying to capture him. Right. Yeah, the fact of the matter is, right, exactly. And I think that's what's what's comes be hard because always, and this, this is to me, even though I, don't, I haven't read the comics forever, but the idea of putting Luther in, in power armor to fight Superman is just stupid. Or that every villain, major villain, seems like is just a a reverse analog of the same character. Mm-hmm. You know, like I got super strength, my villains got super strength. It's like, yeah. no, there should be actually the opposite. Like maybe the you're super strong, but they're fragile, but you can't touch them for a particular reason. Yeah. Oh yeah, that was that was one of my favorite um, things in one of the early burn issues of Superman, where he like flies in and it's someone wearing the power armor that you usually see Luther in. Yeah. He had the enclosed helmet and he like flies into uh uh LexCorp and he dumps this thing in front of Lex and he says, you know, what is this about and everything? And Lex is sitting here going, Oh, that's really sad. One of my engineers just uh he ran off with that suit and if you look into here you'll see he was actually fired two weeks ago. And it was like he had all of this stuff backdated and ready so that legally none of it came back to him. And that's what I, yeah. that's what I like about Luthor, not necessarily yeah. trying to get him to directly, you know. Yeah. I'm smart enough to make me a suit that can make me as strong as you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, uh, but, uh, there's a Batman RPG that's supposed to be coming out sometime. Yeah. I am curious about that. Um, so I think they're going to even have like detective level stuff. So I think there's potential there for that. And also City of Mist is actually a noir s- setting. Yeah. And it's structured in a way that you kind of create the, uh, you know, the, the mysteries and trying to solve a mystery. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think, even though I not read Knight's Black Agents with the, cons- uh, the uh, Conspiramid, mm-hmm. I think there's, probably elements you can draw from other games to, to draw that in, but it doesn't seem like, I think the low level stuff you could either do like trying to solve the mysteries or trying to protect the city or you're on the run. I think yeah. It's kind of a neat one as well. Well, and that's what's also interesting is there also are a few, like they are superhero genre, but they aren't like um, when you got to talking about Knights Black Agents, it reminded me of uh, Mutant City Blues which is where you're actually playing like police in a setting where there are people with superpowers and superheroes and everything. But, you know, you're not necessarily doing the superhero stuff. You're doing the investigating crime side of things. Yeah. And I think that's where, to me, I probably enjoy more, even though I do enjoy like some of the, the higher level stuff. um, I'm much more interested in the, at least in the concept of the Netflix series of characters than I mm-hmm. am of the overall Tatari trying to, you mm-hmm. know, make sure this evasion doesn't happen or even the Thanos, you know, it's fun, but I'm much more interested in, uh, was a cotton mouth. Yeah. <laughs> it's like his machinations. And I ever really was a Thanos. Mm-hmm. 
Well, and it's interesting, like, I will not give anything away here, but it's also, um, when we start talking about different genre, subgenres within, I am trying to think of a good way to represent, like, Winter Soldier or Black Widow in a thing where you still get the superhero elements, but it's mainly kind of like a faster-paced espionage thing than it is just a straight-on superhero thing. Yeah, I wonder if something like leverage, or it could still be even like, yeah, because that's really all about the clues, and that's it's kind of interesting. Have you the the other way of handling this too? Have you ever played? Uh, I think it's called Bridalwood Bay. Oh, Brindlewood Bay, yeah, Brindlewood Bay. I, I have it. I haven't played it. So if you run it, it's it's very interesting. The idea is that there is no solution that's been predetermined all there are clues mm-hmm. and then they get the clues you give out clues and then they get to a certain point that they make a declaration you roll to see if it's correct or not you know what i like that and it's actually similar to um um is my brain not working again um there is a pbta game about uh playing essentially uh like uh downton abbey but with the adams family and um uh the the thing there is you can get you can learn secrets about people and each secret gives you a plus but when you try and declare what their secret is you have to roll with the clues that you've gotten and if you don't you know if you don't roll high enough even if you're completely right about whatever their secret is it doesn't you know it doesn't trigger and we had a session at winter war where one of the people's uh, secret, and this is fine because this is an Adams family type yeah. like ridiculous situation, but one of the people's secret was they were a corgi in a suit, and no one recognized that they were a corgi. <laughs> and every time someone tried to unveil their secret that they were a corgi in a suit, they were rolling low. So every, even though it is so obvious that this person is a corgi in a suit, yeah. everyone kept rolling below. And it's great, like for a comedic, you know, through line, but it's like there's something different about that person. <laughs> right. <laughs> you sure yeah. you're not? Bedlam Hall is what I was trying to come that's, up with. That's, that's very cool. And I think the thing is, you, you could add something like that in there where you just do the clues. The problem I had with the, the, Brindlewood Bay, or I forget the name was, uh, mm-hmm. is that as they draw out these clues, they would latch on to these things, and afterwards, they would then w- want to know what was going on with these clues. But it's like there was nothing to the clue other than being a clue. Yeah, like, the shipment of of the excessive amount of cod being shipped to the mansion <laughs> really was nothing more than just a clue. Yeah, I mean, and what was really going on there? I don't know. I mean, yeah. <laughs> and then, so the problem is you kind of built this elaborate structure that leads to a conclusion. But what happens is it, it leaves a bunch of more very, very interesting. I suppose you could go into this reiteration where they could go after those clues. You create more clues and they come up with these theories. But it's 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 kind of like in the end, it's like, oh, this is kind of difficult. Oh, man. Now, now I want to see a National Treasure RPG. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I think there's ways of adding it. And I think that, that, you know, there are ones out there. But for low level, I think it, you could probably run just about anything uh, that is in a game that you already enjoy mm-hmm. at, and then just add, you know, a power 
like yeah. a, you know, and maybe just give it a simple thing and not break anything. But what for like mid level, like what would you what would you use for? Um, well, I think I think the thing is most I think most superhero RPGs are actually geared towards mid level. Yeah, like they can do high and low, but they really are calibrated for that mid level you know play. Um, I think your more narrative games like Marvel Heroic can handle those ranges without feeling a lot different depending on what range you're playing. But I think if you want everyone to feel like their middle range, actually, okay, I'm going to say this. This is not my favorite, but I think it is good for capturing that feel of everybody being middle of the road is when I used Savage Worlds to do um, like just baseline. There's so many things in that supers thing where you can try and make someone like Superman, but it is ridiculous and it doesn't work. But you can make somebody that looks kind of like Flash, or you can make somebody that looks more like Golden Age Wonder Woman, where she's not flying and right. you know, but she can throw cars around. So I think, and I think part of that works because Savage Worlds is more of a pulp yes. type, you know, game. It's about pulp two fisted punching people. Right. It's a adventures game turned into a role playing game. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I think that works for mid level. Um, I mean that that's why I'm I'm gonna say like some of the more narrative things I think work for each level, but it's also more work on the GM to flavor things. But if you're just talking like straight out of the box, I really think most things are calibrated for, for that yeah, mid level. I think you're right. Um, and and I haven't played Sentinels. I, I need to probably pick it up. I do have. I think Spectaculars will be playing hopefully the next month or so. Mm -hmm. So we just finished up. We're finishing up with the, uh, we're doing um, Delta green, which is extraordinarily fun. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, so I think we're going to do something else and we may turn to that, but uh, I do need to pick up the Sentinels of the, of the universe too. So for a high level play, what would you use? See, this is, this is actually, as we were talking, this is the first time this has actually really occurred to me, is that people have made kind of, you know, ta tailored subgenres for, like, um, you know, for street-level things and for teenagers. I think there's actually a lot of room for doing a cosmic-level superhero subgenre game that just deals with that. Like, you just want to have, you know people like silver surfer or you know i don't even want to say guardians of the galaxy because most of them really aren't on that cosmic level they just right. are in space right but yeah like you know if you you know um okay this is going to show how old i am but like if you did like the infinity watch you know comics that came out of the where you had people like adam warlock and you know and quasar and people like that all kind of like stopping big cosmic level threats um but i want to say that again i think i think you can do it with marvel heroic not too too hard but that's going to be a lot of leaning on what kind of opposition and what kind of challenges you throw people because it really is like flavoring that d12 to make it feel like cosmic instead of just big you know <laughs> I'm going to throw this out there. I'm, I'm going to make this theory. 
I'm going to guess that it sounds like kind of the way we've progressed, but maybe not. Maybe you're not in agreement here. But <laughs> if you look at street level on one side of the continuum mm-hmm. and cosmic level on the other side, the street level, you probably want more granular and the cosmic level, you want more abstract. Oh, yeah, I actually I, I would definitely agree with that. So something like fate probably would uh, would work real well with that. Actually, I really agree with you there, because as I think about it, what gets tricky with fate is when you're trying to do a superheroes game that encompasses everyone from street level to cosmic. But if your baseline is already cosmic, I think it does that really well. Because, yeah, you can if, if you're and honestly, I will throw this in here. This is I don't think this was true as much in the 70s, but like now Green Lantern it should be like a big heavy hitter up there with you know any of you know people like superman or anything like that because this is literally somebody that can travel across the universe at a moment's notice and hit people as hard as he can think so (laughs) but yes in that case you're just making you know you know roll you know create an asset whatever you know you're thinking of whether it's you know you know superman shoving a starship into you know into orbit to create a a barrier between someone else or green lantern making a gigantic shield of uh depending on which green lantern right hal isn't very bright so it's just going to be a brick wall but (laughs) (laughs) it's my green lantern uh bias is coming out here (laughs) but yeah i really think fate if you're assuming everyone is that cosmic level hero I think fate is actually a pretty good uh, choice for that. Yeah, I would say in general, I find I enjoy fate better. I think for one shots, there's some things I don't quite care about the way it works. But in general, you want to play something fast and loose. It works really well. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had some great fate games, but they do tend to be shorter campaigns. Um, we played uh, Ironetta Accelerated and we had a lot of fun and it was extremely wild they ended up fighting uh animated you know colossus from the roman empire and then ended up going into uh hell and uh fighting uh uh garm the uh the hellhound that guards uh hell's domain or nipple you know you could just do like some really outrageous stuff yeah yeah so yeah i think that would be i think that'd be uh, I think it seems to fit and I think it fits the expectations of what you can so even if you're wanting to do even cosmic level even cosmic level magic too I mean mm-hmm. that side of sort of thing would be would be pretty more straightforward I think and satisfying oh yeah I was, I was, that actually reminded me like okay there was a the first thing that I actually ran regularly that wasn't just like one shot in marvel heroic was they had um a cosmic trilogy and it was all about like basically this was really funny because at the time in the comics thanos was dead and thanos came back and this this thing was published like i think like a year before infinity war so apparently somebody was on the same uh vibe as other people here yeah but basically it was you know all these cosmic level things and like your pre-gen characters that it was assuming was people like Thor, Silver Surfer, um, Doctor Strange, um, like, you know, characters like that. And it was a lot of fun, 
it was interesting to see like looking back now i tried to read that that those adventures now after all these years and man there are some scenes that are like perfunctory like we wrote this module in the 80s so we have to take you out of feeling like a superhero and have you like search a planet in 15 different places and it's like this is not what Thor or (laughs) dr strange would be doing (laughs) yeah i'll tell you what we've we've as uh, well, I was at the Virginia Slims commercial would say, <laughs> I had to, we've come a long way, baby. <laughs> like the set pieces in those adventures was very much, you know, like, you know, someone has actually taken over eternity and you now have to fight the embodiment of the universe. <laughs> I was like, yeah. okay, yeah, that's a good, yeah. uh, that's right. a good culmination there. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty crazy. Well, I think we're hitting the time space continuum, Jared. Yeah. That pesky, <laughs> that pesky thing. Oh no, is that the anti-monitor? Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) So thanks for joining me, Jared. No problem. Thanks for having me on. Sure. Until next time. (laughs) 